I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Beauty Bosses. We have an amazing guest here in the office today, Bailey Riedel, the beautiful, gorgeous Wilhelmina model who has been in campaigns for Target Australia, Cosmopolitan, La Vion Rose, Joe Fresh, and lots and lots of catalogs. Um, And Bailey is here today to chat with us about all things behind the modeling business. Yes, we are super excited about so welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to be able to talk to you just about fashion and beauty and skin and all things related to especially how it's translating um, over social media channels these days. I know. It's it's yeah. such an interesting time to be a model, right? Let's just jump oh, right into it. It is so in, crazy. In 2019, being a model means something completely different than it did in you know, the year 2000. Yeah. What do you think the biggest change in modeling has been? It's just crazy. I was even talking to my agent about it the other day, and literally everything now revolves around social media, and in an unfortunate sense, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything, but a lot of it is all about, you know, how many followers you have, what's your reach, what's the engagement like on your social media channels, clients. It's not just about, oh, she's popular, quote, and you know she's got a lot of followers it's literally um, you know they use you as an advertising space you know it's not so much sending out catalogs in the mail anymore it's people, leveraging the reach of the models yeah, in the catalog it's just, which is this so is how you reach people now is on social media and on Instagram and that's that's where you get the attention so when did you become a model? Did you always know that you wanted to be a model? Absolutely not. I mean, I grew up, you know, I'm six feet tall, and I've always had long blonde hair and bright blue eyes, so especially growing up like that, a lot of people said, you know, you should be a model, you're so tall, but I actually studied archaeology at university in Canada, and I got scouted by my first agency while I was in school, and it kind of just took off from there. I thought, I'll give it a shot, I like to travel, let's see where this goes, but it was not ever my initial intention or like a dream since I was a kid. How so. old were you when you got scouted? I had been scouted by an agency when I was actually 14. Um, at that time, I was a lot smaller, you know, I was kind of lanky, hadn't quite gone through puberty, uh, but they actually still wanted me to lose a significant amount of weight, and I luckily at that age knew that that just wasn't realistic for me. So that kind of died off, and then when I was at university, I was scouted by another agency, and she, who is my current um, mother agent, she just said, you can stay the size that you are. Like, we are we are gearing for plus size and curvier models and models that are more at an average um, weight and size, which was so amazing to me because I didn't even know that that side of modeling even existed. So the fact that I could pursue something that people have pushed on me almost my entire life, but I didn't have to starve myself to get there, that just... That was like the end all be all. I was like, yeah, sign me up. Let's see where this goes. And that's amazing because yeah. I had um, another model on the podcast, Liz Burt, and she was talking about how all her friends would eat one apple a day and they'd oh. fill their stomach with cotton balls. Like yes. they'd literally eat non-food yeah. items, which have... by the way is a disease called pica. Don't okay. do it. I, um, <laughs> I would stay away. And um, 
they would eat like non foods, yeah, such as cotton balls and paper and stuff like that, yeah. in order to. I have lose heard weight. that several times before the cotton ball story, and it just it literally makes my stomach sick <laughs> for more than one reason. But I, it breaks my heart to hear that girls have to do that. I understand there are there's women and men that are at a very very small size, you know, U.S. size zero or size two. There there are definitely people, but it's a small percentage. You know, and to have every single model, every single person that is advertising to the general public to be at that size and to basically say, hey, society, you're not beautiful unless you're a size zero. I just think that's completely ridiculous. I think there needs to be diversity and inclusivity in the media at every size to show people like this is what people look like. This is who we're selling to. Totally. But I think, you know, fashion... 10, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't about selling to everybody. It was about selling a fantasy. It was about selling something that you could never obtain, that you could never reach for. I think that that's still... that's the change that we're seeing in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think that's still a tension in fashion because, you know, are we reflecting society or are we selling an aspirational Mm -hmm. goal that is not real that you want to be like and there's an extent to which these days it's both yeah there's definitely still both and I it's nice being in the industry because I get to see both sides of it um but there's definitely some clients that want to sell the fantasy that want to sell the thing that you can never have but you know you will always want. And then there are other brands that are selling, hey, this is us and it's you. And you can be this and this is realistic. And it works in both ways, um, but unfortunately the fantasy side of it, there's still a lot of toxicity there, um, which is the problem that I have with it. Does your current agency require you to do anything to look or be a certain way? Absolutely not. They have been so supportive. I came to New York about three years ago. I was a size US 14. Um, I have fluctuated. Uh, You know, I've been in places in my life where I wasn't very healthy, where I didn't work out, where I didn't know a lot about nutrition. Um, I've learned a lot in the last couple of years. Um, So I have ranged from a 14 up to a 16. I'm kind of sitting at a US size 10 to 12 right now. And the great thing I love about, you know, being labeled as a curve or a plus size model is that there, there is work in all the ranges. The only discussions I have with my agents, they will say, you know, okay, currently this is what size is working the most. And this size, it, it can work, but you won't be working as much. And that's your choice. We're not telling you to gain weight. We're not telling you to lose weight. We want you to be healthy, happy, and confident, which is so important to find. And even still, I find that's hard to seek out in certain agencies. But um, they will be realistic. You know, They say, if this is just about money for you and you're not concerned so much with your health and maybe you want to, hey, eat a little more to make a little more money, then that's your conscious choice. But we are in no way telling you what to do. And I think that that's great um, because there definitely have been a shift as well on that side where I'm sure everyone has heard of stories where agents are telling their girls you know you have to lose a ton of weight or even on the other side where we have to eat a ton of food and you have to be a certain size but um, the thing I've liked about the shift um, with the models is that we have more power now and we have a voice now which is great because I think about you know 10 years ago models just did what they were told to do and if they didn't listen then they weren't working and then they were dropped from an agency so I think we have 
we have more of a voice now, just like the consumers have more of a voice now. Yeah, and I think that that's really cool. Um, you started a hashtag that I really like, um, your body, your business. And I think this is really cool because it's a good empowerment message for people that on some level, regardless of whether you're talking about the size you are or your ethnic background or your age or your, you know, body type fitness level decision to have a plastic surgery procedure, you know, it is your body and it is your business. Yeah. How yeah. did you think of that hashtag? So I, I didn't actually come up with it completely on my own. One of my very first agents back in Canada, I remember we were having a meeting and she said, she's like, you know, your body is your business. But she said it in a different context where we were talking as from a business perspective. She was like, mm-hmm. you have to know oh, how to right. advertise yourself and market yourself. Like, you know, you don't run a pet shop. You don't run a grocery store. You run your body. This is what you are selling. This is your literal so she, business. Yeah, yeah, she's like, this is your literal business. So that's kind of how she said it. But in my head, I got that. But it registered also in my head, you know, my body is also my personal business as well. Like, I will do what I want with it, how I want, when I want. So it was kind of cool how it translated because it has a double meaning as well. It's literal and figurative. Um, But, yeah, so it definitely translated into just me, you know, taking the power back kind of with that hashtag and it's caught on a little bit which I love on social media I I follow the hashtag so I'll see anyone um, that uses it on their posts I get to go and I like everything and I love the empowering messages that I see associated with the hashtag so that kind of just you know warms my heart I don't know if those people came up with the hashtag themselves as well or maybe they saw it on an explore page or on my page but I make sure to like it because I want to support anyone and everyone who uses um, that message because I, I definitely think it's a good message and yeah like we were saying I think it's just important you know to acknowledge what you're doing with yourself be honest be true but also like don't judge other people whatever you are doing to yourself specifically that's your business yeah just like it says okay so I know that a lot of people are curious about this but what is a day in the life of a working model <laughs> so a day that we're working or a day that we're not working either like give us a little like okay tell us about a week in the life of a working model oh, so gosh. we can hear a little bit of both. a week in the life so typically we don't work every day there are definitely times where the work is crazy busy I find a lot of us will say it comes in waves like that where there's nothing and it's dead and you wonder if your agents completely forgot about who you are and then you're so busy you're working every single day you're at an airport there was one week where I was at an airport seven times in one week and I was so exhausted but I loved the job and I loved traveling and you know I lost my luggage one day and I had to wake up and go to set for 7 a.m the next day and there's been the classic you know you work in LA one day and then you have to take a red-eye flight for work in New York City the next morning so you're sleeping on the plane you're showering at the airport and you're running onto set as clean and as rested as you possibly can Um, but then yeah there's the other side of it where there are slower weeks you know you have some castings uh, you get to live that you know, kind of luxurious life where you get to sleep in on a Tuesday and you get to go grocery shopping and go to the gym, 
you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, which is great. <laughs> I have to say I love running my errands during the week when nobody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <And> not... <laughs> you have the stores to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Everything's dead and I don't have to worry about like the rush hour traffic or anything. So that's great. You definitely, it's a different lifestyle. You have to be okay with A, being alone. You have to be very independent to do this job. You have to be okay with the fluctuations um, and you have to be smart with your money. Because just like the work, the money comes in waves. And sometimes the paychecks are big, sometimes they're small, and you have to be able to manage that to make sure that you're paying those bills that still show up every month, whether or not you're working every day. So that's definitely something that's been an adjustment for myself and for a lot of other people that have come from, say, a more nine-to-five kind of job, and now they're just thrown into this, hey, you work once this week, you work five times next week, and then you don't work for two weeks. So. Yeah, and what does it all mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the constant so, questions, then, why am I here? And then, <laughs> exactly. Um, not to get too heavy. But yeah. what is what are you thinking about your future? Because I've had models tell me that, um, that things are changing, and it used to be that you were a senior citizen in modeling once you were past your Mm -hmm. 20s. But now I also have people telling me that modeling has changed so much that you can really age into it as a career. So what's your take on that and what's your plan for your, you know, late 20s and 30s and beyond? It definitely has changed. I completely agree with the fact that there is so much more longevity in this industry. And I think that that's a part of the plus size curve industry that I like because a lot of the girls that were just a little bit bigger, you know, we're not necessarily a size two. Um, we are the type of women that you're seeing in catalogs and that you're seeing in, you know, older women catalogs where the demographic is like 40 years old to 85 years old. Um, so there's a lot more work. I mean, my agents have told me too, they're like, I think your prime has yet to hit. You know, I, I have a very classic model look. I'm My, my look is not super edgy. Um, I kind of just girl next door and that's what catalogs typically like to sell so hopefully the idea is that when I'm going into my 30s that's when I'm going to be my busiest and I'm happy with the work right now so I can only imagine how happy I'm going to be with the work you know in a couple years when I'm 30 well more than a couple <laughs> when I'm 30 but it's definitely yeah you're still a baby yeah I'm, st- I'm definitely not at 30 yet <laughs> so that's good but yeah there's a lot more longevity um and also we're in great. a time when like you know some of the biggest sex symbols and screen sirens around mm-hmm. are you know Kim Kardashian is almost 40 years old exactly. Jennifer Aniston is 50 years old yeah and, and these are still it. the people who are on the covers of magazines who are completely beautiful inside and out and Absolutely. and so not only that be. but they're you know great mm-hmm. business women who can definitely sell a product or two oh, they are they are feisty business women I will say you know you think modeling is just all glitz and glamour but it is all business yes let's all talk about, about this working yourself and putting what yourself are the big there? misconceptions about models because I think this is something that is so important society marginalizes and diminishes the importance of um, models because they're quote human coat hangers, which yeah. you know, we were talking about earlier. <laughs> which is but, yeah, which is fine, but that is only one very yeah, small. Yeah. So tell us, what is your like? What is your take on the biggest misconception about models? Definitely, I would agree with what we're saying. The biggest misconception is that people think models are stupid. It does not 
Yes, it does not take brains to stand in front of a camera and to move around and to flash a pretty smile. No, absolutely not. But to be truly successful in this career and have that longevity that we're speaking about, that is where the brains come in. And you have to be aggressive. You have to be an entrepreneur. You have to know how to network. You have to be charismatic with people. You have to have great people skills, first of all. Number one, absolutely. Um, Some of my absolute closest friends are also my biggest idols because they are the biggest boss babes that I know. They are running businesses, they are starting clothing lines, they are out at events, they are talking to people, they are hitting people up on social media, they are saying, hey, let's organize a shoot, let's do this, let's plan this, like let's talk over lunch about how we can grow ourselves and how we can get our names out there and how we can create a career for ourselves that's not just stepping in front of the camera. Um, especially with the social media and um, people actually taking notice to who models are, not just what they look like, which has also been a great shift. People want to book you because of your personality also, which years ago they didn't care about a model's personality. They just cared what she looked like. But I have my agents coming to me saying, what else do you do besides modeling? And you have a good answer because you are a mountaineer. I am. Guys, she is not only this beautiful creature inside and out, but she also climbs mountains. I do. I only, I'm new, I'm a beginner, so I won't take too much credit, but I found a new passion and it's climbing mountains and it's endurance hiking and I love it. I climbed Mount Baker last September. It's at about 11,000 feet. It's out in Seattle. It took, we did a six day kind of mountaineering crash course. We practiced some like ice climbing and crevasse training. It was the most incredible experience of my life. I felt like I was on a different planet. And I will say it was the most physically and mentally challenging thing that I have ever done. I cried multiple times. I had bruises from my thighs down to my feet. I lost a toenail, (laughs) but it grew back, so we're good. And I am actually training now for another one. We are climbing Aconcagua, which is the highest summit in South America. It's in Argentina. So we are doing a three-week trek in December. And you are actually the first person that I have publicly told that to. Oh, my God. (laughs) My friends know, but I haven't told social media yet. So I guess now it's going to be out. (laughs) Yeah, now it's going to be out. So you guys heard it here first. That's so cool and so enviable. Okay, I want to ask you a couple more questions about modeling. So we were talking about diversity and inclusion in modeling, and I think that you are helping to represent this awesome trend where you're seeing more different body types. But there, there is a way in which you um, are this statuesque, beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed, mm-hmm. um, very symmetrical, perfect-featured <laughs> um, woman. Um, and a lot of people argue that that's still not good enough for improving diversity. That yes, mm-hmm. you're um, representing curves, but what about all of the ethnic minorities and um, you know the LGBTQA community mm-hmm. and the community of people that is differently abled and things like that. So are you seeing more of that in the real world in terms of modeling? I am. I'm seeing a bit more of it. Uh, I actually just saw a campaign recently where they used uh, a woman with Down syndrome, which was totally incredible. I know a model that she is in a wheelchair um, and she, she works regularly. It's a small, small niche market right now where clients are looking for someone 
who is like the furthest part of the minorities that you would think. Um, but it's growing, you know, it's just we have to keep pushing all together. We have to push the curves and we have to push the ethnicities and people with a disability or an incapability. And we just, we have to push it all, you know. I understand that, you know, I am Caucasian and I am blonde with blue eyes. I am what you are used to seeing from basically the beginning of modeling and fashion, just with some extra curves. Um, but I love this job, so I'm going to keep pushing myself, but I'm going to push myself alongside everybody else. And yes, it, it's hard, you know, it's hard to see um, women that don't look like me more in the media because I know that that's taking a job away from me. But at the same time, 10 years ago, my look was the only thing getting jobs. So I'm also very happy for those people that are working that are just all different kind of looks and sizes and backgrounds and I think it's great and I think that that's what every brand should be striving for especially in a society like North America where there is so much diversity it is not just one kind of look that lives here and that shops here and you need to acknowledge that I just think that there's no other choice than that so I think that's really good are there things that you find problematic about the modeling industry? I mean, where do you start, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's problems in every industry. Um, I think anywhere you work, there's going to be pros and cons. Obviously, I, I love what I do, or I wouldn't still be here. Um, but there, there are struggles. You have to constantly fight to be seen. You have to fight to make a name for yourself. You have to go, you know, kind of... You're competing against... Uh, one another all the time. I think that's really tough. I've created a lot of really beautiful friendships with people here, but I've met these people and these other women at castings for the same jobs that we're both going for. So as proud as I am of these girls that are working, yeah, there's a part of me that wishes that I was working that job as well too. So that's a problem. There's also, you know, there's still issues in the industry with taking advantage of models and other people, you know, like how we've all heard about, you know, like sexual abuse in fashion and in film and the movies and Have you had like those Me Too moments where people have been inappropriately using their positions of authority? I have been extremely, extremely lucky. I don't know if it's just the clients that I've worked with or the agency that I'm with or just a pure stroke of luck. But I have only ever experienced one situation where I was actually too uncomfortable to work and it wasn't even comparable to some of the things that women go through where you hear about photographers trying to sleep with them and take advantage of them. Um, and, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins, you know, you sleep with me and I'll get you a movie, right. that kind of situation. My, my personal situation was just I was on a set and the photographer switched out with a new photographer because he wanted to, to try out, you know, he was new, he wanted to work on his skills, and I thought that was totally fine, um, but I was shooting lingerie that day, and when I would go into the back after the shot to put on a new set of lingerie, I caught him peeking while I was changing, um, and that made me very uncomfortable, because I'm fine on set, I don't mind if there's men and women, you know, we're all working, we're doing a job, it's very desexualized, if mm -hmm. that's the right word. Um, and I realize that I'm just there to do a job. I'm there to model the clothes. You know, no one's usually staring at me, you know, finding it attractive and, um, and that kind of thing. But when I saw him making it obvious, 
that this just wasn't professional anymore. That's when I got very uncomfortable. And I just said to the other photographer, I said, you know, he's got to go. I don't feel comfortable. He's looking um, and he's crossing the line. So, and luckily I was strong enough to say that because there's a lot of girls that won't say yeah, it. Yeah, good for you for speaking up. Yeah. It's not necessarily easy when, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when speaking up could mean that you're, you yeah. know, excused from the shoot. Like, exactly. You know. And which is horrible because he was the one sexualizing me and taking advantage of the situation, yet I might be the one to lose the job. How, how does that totally seem Totally messed fair? up, right? So maybe I got lucky, you know, because he was a new photographer, and I caught him peeking. Now all of a sudden he's out. But if it was a big photographer, you know, a big name, yeah, I might have been offset. They might have been like, well, if you're not okay, then you can go. But I was, like I said, I've been very lucky, and I'm extremely grateful for it. Uh, I think it's disgusting when people take advantage of situations like that just, you know, for their own motives. But unfortunately it happens. But I just at least, like we said, like women and men, we're, we have more of a voice now. And people are less afraid to stand up and speak for themselves. So I think that that's really important. It's just about constantly talking about the issues and the stigmas that go around with any any aspect of life and just constantly trying to break down that wall and take away that stigma that will normalize things and just like we said about beauty you know just talking about it and taking away that stigma you know behind having procedures done and stuff it'll just make things more normal yeah in terms of the business side of things uh, there are a lot of people who think about modeling as a side gig and not that many people who can make it their full-time profession how did you know from a practical standpoint when it was going to be financially feasible for you to be a full-time working model? And do you have advice oh for people gosh. who are thinking about that? I actually probably, that was probably one of the decisions I didn't totally think through was the finances <laughs> of it all. I, I think I just always knew that this was going to be something for me. You know, just a gut feeling. I was scouted when I was at school, and obviously I didn't have any initial intentions of being in fashion or modeling or anything like that, but once I was scouted, I had two years left at school, and so I did some photo shoots. I traveled during the summers to, I went to Europe, I was in Australia, and it, it went really well. I had some, I, I had some very negative experiences, but overall, I think I just knew that this was something I had to go for, so the second I graduated, I grabbed my dad, we, we packed up anything I had and we drove down to New York and I moved here and I went for it full time. I think also because, you know, I had to get a visa to work in the States. So for me, it was either all or nothing. Either you give this everything for, you know, at least three years and, and hopefully longer or, or you don't because I don't even have the option of living in the States and working at another job. You know, I can't waitress on the side. I can't have another job. Um, other than modeling, so I don't because really, of your visa because of the visa, I'm restricted to working just for the agency that I'm with, and it's I have an O one visa, which technically is more of a work a work permit, so I am tied to the agency. So any other kind of job that would require um, a social security number, I can't work. So I'm I'm tied to it. So I'm very so you're doing dependent. It. I am dependent. that is one way to commit. And then, I came down with a little yeah. bit of savings. I blew through that on rent <laughs> the second I moved down here. And I've been completely dependent. I've been great. My parents helped me out with rent the first couple of months that I moved here. And then I got lucky. I got some regular clients and I got some solid work. And I was able to dig myself out of a a small debt that I had. And I paid my parents back in probably a year and a half. 
um, after being here, and I've been completely financially independent ever since, and I'm extremely proud of that fact. I learned a lot from my parents about budgeting and learning how to manage my money well, because there definitely are a lot of girls that have yet to figure that out. Um, you know, adulting is hard, and they don't teach you that in school. Totally. And then you just decide to move to another country away from your family, and there's a lot to catch up on very quickly. Yeah. So you've grown this huge social media presence, mm-hmm. and um, I think that that's really cool because you let your personality shine through in addition to your, um, you know, more branded stuff that's more mm-hmm. about modeling. Do you have any advice for people on how to build a good social following that's authentic? So the big thing now, especially with all the changes in algorithms, and I think social media is completely oversaturated, so it's making it even more difficult to stand out. I started trying to grow my social media at a time where it was actually still easy to be seen. So the first year I moved here, I think I jumped from about 6,000 followers to like 33,000 in a year. That's a lot. Which for me was crazy. And it wasn't, you know, being tagged by a bunch of brands or getting any massive campaigns that was just posting a lot of photos. Mind you, they a lot were sexy photos. <laughs> so I did get a lot of attention from that, mm-hmm. which, uh, which helped the numbers. Um, but now... I'm using that platform with a lot of numbers to try to be as authentic as possible. But back to the trying to grow, you have to be on there all the time. It, I am not gonna lie, it sucks. It is a full-time job to run a social media account. I understand my companies now. I get emails from them and the little title underneath says, you know, PR management, social, social media manager. It is a job. It is a job to run an Instagram account. Um, You have to be posting stories regularly to get on the Explore page, to have other people. You have to be using hashtags. You want to reach out. You want to network with people. You want to work with other brands. Um, You have to be doing everything. You know, you've got to be your own PR um, in a sense, and you've got to work on the content on there. You have to make it aesthetically pleasing to the eye as a whole, and each individual picture has to be pleasing. Um, The captions have to be good. I think the thing for me that I try to do on mine is have witty captions because I think that there's a lot of Instagrams out there where all the pictures are beautiful. I'm very lucky I have a lot of beautiful pictures from jobs and photographers I've worked with. So that's kind of taken care of. But with the captions, I find some girls not quite so creative and sometimes they're quite plain. And it's a lot of work, you know, it's just, it's annoying to have to sit there and think, okay, what's... What's interesting? What are people going to actually read? And what are they actually going to look at and then like and then show their friends? So for me, I just try to be as real as possible. And I try to do the witty comments as if I was just talking, you know, to a girlfriend or hanging out with people. And that's kind of the closest thing to my personality. I'm very sarcastic. I kind of have a crude sense of humor. So I, I try to let that shine yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like you really do have some Some of them are pretty through. good. I sometimes get comments from friends being like, hey, that was really funny what you said. Because <laughs> the photos are great, and they can be very sexy. Um, but also, like, that's the character and the brand that I'm trying to promote. So the part of me that's the most authentic are usually the captions. So, so what do you balance. think about um, all the models who Photoshop and Facetune and filter their photos? And do you do that? And is it okay? Should we stop giving people a hard time for doing that? Oh or should we gosh. kind of just say no? This is where it comes back to our conversation before about brands. Because essentially, I am a brand. I'm trying to market myself. 
And it's with what are you trying to sell? Are you selling the real you, the authentic you? Or are you selling that fantasy to people that, oh, I want to be like her, but I can never yeah. be Yeah, is her. it real? Is it a mirror of real life or is it an exactly. aspirational ideal? And I think that's something that even I'm still struggling with. I post photos um, that are very, very real and I've posted pictures with my pimples, you know, but I have posted photos. Yeah. What pimples. <laughs> Today's a good day. You caught me on a good day. Your facials are helping. But uh, no, I've posted photos, yeah, with the pimples and, and some wrinkles and a bad hair day or not the most flattering pose. Um, but I, yeah, I have posted photos where I have smoothed it out or I have taken out a zit. I am proud to say I have never altered my body. I don't believe in that. I don't stand for that at all. I think what you see is what you get. Um, but something like a pimple where I don't usually have it I guess I have taken out pimples, you know, with like that Photoshop little app that they have on the phones. Um, I have done that before. Yeah. And it's something that I struggle with. I think we all do. I think there's probably a lot of girls that would probably do it. And we all put filters. I don't care what anybody says. Like we all yeah. brighten up the photo a little bit or make it a little sharper or enhance the contrast. Um, because we're trying to make it also aesthetically pleasing to look at. I'm also trying to create a consistency um, and a theme throughout my photos and my social media so that I am always happy to say yeah I do that like I'll throw a light filter on um, it's not changing the shape of my body you can still see everything that's there and I think once you start just being honest and real about those things it becomes easier and easier and easier like I said about the stigma once you acknowledge it it's not so hard anymore to just be honest about what you're posting and not be so afraid to talk about it. Okay, and last question. Mm -hmm. What do you think about plastic surgery? Because, uh, especially for the modeling industry, mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm just going to say my two cents, which is yeah. that I think that tweakments and medical aesthetics and Botox, injectables, plastic surgical procedures, medical-grade facials, medical-grade skincare, lasers, <laughs> I think all of that has become omnipresent. And I would throw out there that if you think you don't know anyone who is doing something right. like that, you are wrong. Absolutely. Everybody is doing all of that stuff, or at least some of that stuff, and if they're not doing it, they've thought strongly about it and they're mm -hmm. about to do it. And I find that this stuff is completely omnipresent, and from my standpoint, you know, granted this is my life's work and career as a plastic <laughs> surgeon, so... Of yeah, course, I would hope you support it. <laughs> of, course there, of course there's some uh, bias, but I, um, from my standpoint, I think that you can be a person of substance and also care about how you look, and that I think that there should be less judgment and hating and toxicity associated mm -hmm. with people making personal choices about their bodies. Absolutely. What do you think? I completely agree with you. I obviously grew up with the huge stigma against plastic surgery. Oh, I would never do that. That's disgusting. Who would get a boob job? Yeah, I'm That's not that so kind fake. of person who would do something yeah. like that. And it's so funny, um, as I've grown up and now, you know, we're all coming into adulthood and I have had people come up to me and they say, you know, where do you get your Botox done? Or, hey, can you recommend this place? Or what do you think of my, my lines or the injectables that I got? And I just thought, wait, you had stuff done? I had, I had no idea. And these are people that just work at, you know, they work at a, a law firm or they, they work at a health food store and like they have nothing to do with fashion. 
So I'm just like, oh, I didn't even know that you thought that you needed to get that done. They're like, yeah, I just, you know, wanted to get rid of this line. I love the idea of aging and, and embracing like what you were given and what you were born with. But I also understand the influence that society has and that people can envy the way that somebody else looks and maybe want to look something like that. I think when it comes to getting plastic surgery and injectables and things, if you are doing it for that reason, to look like somebody or to get approval from somebody else or some kind of group, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you're doing it purely for yourself, you know, this say, whatever feature on your body you have had an issue with your entire life, regardless of social media, regardless of what is in fashion currently, if you're doing it for yourself and you hated it five years ago and you're going to get it done and you're still going to love it 50 years from now, I think you should go and just fucking do it. Like, <laughs> like I said, your body is your business and no one should be able to tell you otherwise. And I just think, you know, as long as you are making that conscious decision for yourself, um, then I, I think it should be okay. I mean, I've heard stories, and you can disagree with me on this, where people have come in, you know, to plastic surgery offices and say, you know, I want to look like Kim Kardashian. Okay, personally, I don't think that that's right. I don't think no. you should aspire you to look like somebody exactly. else. Because they are already looking like that, honey. Like, you're never going to look like and that. And the best like, you can do, if your goal is to look yeah. like somebody else, the best you can ever exactly. achieve is being a poor facsimile exactly. of that person. And I always have loved the quote, you know, like, just be the best version of yourself, you know, because that person's already taken. And it's totally true. Um, and I'll go back to, to one little story I had. Um, someone in my life and they had plastic surgery done and this was when I was totally against it and I thought you know going under the knife and having something done was so bad and she corrected me and she was like you know you know your hashtag your body your business why why can't I have plastic surgery done like it's my body and I should be able to do what I want and I was so caught off guard because I was like oh shit she's totally right yeah and it totally changed like my whole outlook because I had been saying your body your business but with the idea that you should love your natural self. So you're, you do what you want, but as long as you love what you're born with. And that's a great way to look at it if you can be in that situation. But she had despised a part of herself her entire life, you know, even when she was like a little kid. So she wanted to go change it. And she used my hashtag against me, and she was so right. And I really had to swallow my pride in that moment. I was like, okay, you know what, you're right, and I'm wrong in that situation, and, like, thank you for helping me see that. Totally. So now when people say, you know, I'm getting stuff done, I'm like, yeah, you do what you want. Like, are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Is it responsible? Is it safe? Is it medically appropriate? Then do what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, do your research, you know, make sure you're doing it for yourself, make sure nobody else is coercing you to do it. You know, as long as you're happy, and it's it's kind of like getting tattoos. As long as you're going to love the tattoo when you're 85 years old, and that <laughs> tattoo is not trendy and not popular, and your body is still sagging and gravity is still taking over, as long as you still like it, then it's all good. Then it's all good. Then you do what you got to do. Well, thank you so much for being here, and <laughs> this has been so amazing and fun. Where can people find you? Um, so they can find me on social media. My Instagram is Bailey Riddell. So it's B-A-I-L-L-I-E-R-I-D-D-E-L-L. That's my, my biggest channel right now. 
Well, thank you, Bailey. Thank you. And we can't wait to see what you do next. <laughs>